Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me. My name is Sarah Jane, the host, typically recorded live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. However, this summer we are doing Beer Me on the Road. This is where I go to different places uh, throughout the D.C. area and in the U.S. uh, and interview uh, different kinds of people within the beer world. We are still looking at the beer world through different lenses to show what a dynamic and vibrant uh, community this is. Uh, Just all over the place instead of one place. Uh, so today, I am in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I'm sitting down and talking with one of my dear friends, uh, Zach Shelton. He is amazing. <laughs> uh, he's currently the general manager of Cochon Butcher, um, but he was previously at Church Key in D.C., then he opened up Blue Jacket in D.C. Uh, he was the general manager at Sovereign in D.C. and also one of the opening people there. His resume, I mean, I could go on, but his resume just, like, continues to get more and more impressive. Uh, so, Zach, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Sarah Jane. It is a pleasure to be talking to you today. So, I actually got the privilege of sitting down and watching you do pre-shift. Great pre-shift, by the way. Oh, jeez. That was one of my worst ones. <laughs> no, no, it's awesome. Um, and you listed off a couple beers that you have on draft. Um, and I noticed that, you know, you guys have a pretty small list. But it's really an exciting list. Um, you have some really fun things. Um, you've definitely got a good variety. Kind of what goes into what goes into putting together a list that's small but mighty? Yeah, um, that's definitely the idea behind it. Is trying to feature things that we can really stand behind. Uh, predominantly local stuff, um, but we try to mix in some some things for on the national level and on the international level too. Just because it's so fun to play around with different kinds of beers, especially when you're so protein heavy and you can go so many different ways. Um, the idea with the draft list, for example, obviously we sell most of our beer is draft sales. Um, we only have four taps. So that is kind of a blessing and a curse at the same time. Mm-hmm. It means that we can really pump through a lot of cool beer and support some great breweries that we are dear friends with. But it also is somewhat limiting. So you kind of have to be creative because you can't have the sort of, uh, oh yeah, there's something for everybody all the time. Um, but we always try to feature a local hoppy beer. Um, we always try to feature something sour. Uh, we always try to feature, generally speaking, something on the darker side, whether that's a porter, a stout, or a schwarz beer, or something like that. Yeah, and then, currently you got Founders, yeah, uh, KBS, KBS, Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Um, which, of course, is not local, but um, it's always been super popular in Louisiana. And the national breweries that come to Louisiana um, are kind of few and far between. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we always have a Pilsner on draft as well, or a lager. Um, there are some great lagers being made here in the South. Um, great Raft Brewing Company uh, is one that we'd love to feature. Um, their Southern Draw Pilsner, which is a dry hop Pilsner uh, brewed with Louisiana rice. It is just easy drinking, delicious, super fresh, um, and vibrantly hoppy. Um, so, you know, we do have a good amount of variety, even on a very small list, but predominantly local. Um, we always try to make sure that we're taking care of our friends so that they take care of us when we go to see them. 
And you had you had talked about doing a, a brewery tour with yeah. your staff. So that's part of what we do as a, sort of an ongoing educational thing. It's really just an excuse to go drink good beer. Uh, next week we're going to uh, Nola Brewing Company. They're right down the street on Chapatulas, probably like a mile and a half away. Um, they were New Orleans' first craft brewery, um, and they have recently changed ownership and their focus has been more on uh producing amazing cool uh sour barrel aged beers and that program has just really taken off for them they just won some really great accolades on the national level for their uh barrel aging and sour program so we're really excited to go show the staff uh the facility next week that's awesome so i've just spent a week in new orleans amazing amazing city it's unlike any city I've ever seen I am ruined for red beans and rice (laughs) some of the best red beans of my life here Um, but I will say so you know I did the you know I did Bourbon Street Mm -hmm. walked around definitely went out and you know a lot of the beer here is the larger companies Mm -hmm. and you know to be honest when it's you know midnight and you just want something cold yep. and refreshing. You don't want to think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hit the spot. But, you know, as craft beer has moved into the city over the years, you know, how are people reacting? Are there, I mean, I'm assuming there are plenty of people who still come in and say, hey, I want a Bud Light yeah. or something like that. You know, how does that conversation go? Well, you know, I like to say that New Orleans is about five years behind in a lot of ways. Um, but, definitely in the craft beer sense that there are some amazing brewers here and some amazing bars that are sort of touting local but also national and international uh, craft beer but New Orleans has and probably always will be like a Miller High Life type of town you know you go out you get a shot in a beer um, you're out until five in the morning which is not typical in most U.S. cities and people just crush High Life I mean Miller High Life is is my number one seller in the bottle um, full disclosure Um, but you know I think that there is a large contingency of people who are starting to seek out, you know, cool, different, uh, you know, local, but again, as I said before, also national, international beer. So you're going to stumble across a bunch of places and you're going to find some really interesting things that you wouldn't necessarily expect because there is excitement, often fueled by these really small breweries that have opened up. So, I mean, in the last, I think, 10 years, um, you know, New Orleans didn't, had had one brewery and now there are probably uh, off the top of my head six or seven um and in the in the day and age where taproom is king a lot of people are gravitating towards taking their families taking their dogs you know to the the local awesome taprooms that are that are popping up seeming like every six months so the trend is i think slowly climbing upward in new orleans whereas on a national scale looking at studies and obviously being addicted to reddit and looking at their beer page younger people in most of the u.s have stopped drinking as much beer in New Orleans, there's still this kind of buzz that I felt when I lived in D.C., you know, five years ago. And I really do believe that New Orleans is behind by, like, five years, and not just in the beer sense. So <clears throat> hitting, hitting that peak. Yeah, that I think so. You know, and, there, and it's like, it's a little worrisome, you know, because how do you keep people excited? Um, you know, my whole approach has always been less is more in writing, but also in food and in beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're starting to see... There's some. There's a great brewery across town called Parlow Beer Lab, um, and they at one point they had like two different kinds of pilsner on draft. You know, this very clean, refreshing, delicious beer. And yes, we're still seeing the influx of hazy, juicy, you know, lollipop, you know, creamsicle, 
IPAs. Um, but we're also seeing people kind of going back to like what they want to drink. And I think that's true on a national scale as well, but it's really cool that like you can, you can get all the gimmicky stuff here, but you can also get some really awesome, like down to earth, easy drinking, the, and which is what you want to do in New Orleans. It's like drink a pills on a 95 degree day. Yeah. yeah. No, if somebody handed me like a, like an 8% like double IPA last night, I think I would have <laughs> thrown up. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I, I, when I was living in DC, I was gravitating more, it's uh, more towards, um, drinking like that type of beer and I was really enjoying it because there's so many great breweries up there right now making mm-hmm. amazing hoppy styles um down here I think the heat has really deterred me from like drinking a sticky juicy like kind of itchy <laughs> back of the throat uh type of beer yeah there's a reason why like you know Trillium and Treehouse yeah, are in the north know, the north <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um now so okay so when you're in DC you were used to a staff mm-hmm. that I mean comes to work at those restaurants because of the programs. And you you oftentimes get a lot of people who are really well versed in beer kind of walking right in the door. Super nerds. Super nerds. <laughs> and you you just have to teach them how to be, you know, service professionals. Right. But um you know, I feel like and correct me if I'm wrong, you are now in a different situation where you have people who are service professionals and or people who are very knowledgeable about food and then you have to do the beer education. Am I assuming yeah, correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it is a challenge, especially when you only have 15 to 20 minutes a day to talk to your staff about it. Um, but the excitement, at least at Koshan Butcher, is that we do have an eclectic, weird selection that is unexpected, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that yes, some of the staff, when I start talking about different strains of Brettanomyces, their eyes glaze over and they're like, okay, dude, wrap it up. <laughs> um, but there are some of them who are super interested in it and have shown, like, um, you know, extracurricular fandom of learning more about these products and more about history, more about what, you know, what caused this whole thing to start happening and why beer is such an important thing, um, not only for our restaurant, but I think for, uh, from a cultural standpoint. Um, so yeah, teaching about beer, I still love it. I nerd out, and one of my staff members the other day was like, "You know, you should do a TED talk on beer." And I was like, eh, "I don't think anyone wants to hear that." But um, you me, should do a TED talk on beer. Well, uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what they're doing uh, next week. But um, <laughs> you know, getting them excited really, I think, in any when you're trying to get people excited about something, if you don't show excitement for it yourself, it's not going to translate. So you know, we do try to in every pre-meal, talk about the beverage program, talk about the beer program specifically because beer is our number one uh, uh, beverage also out, outside of Mexican Coke. Mexican Coke is our number one seller. That's your number one seller? It is. It is. I get that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Especially, like, if you gave me, like, a really greasy, like, delicious, meaty mm-hmm. sandwich, I could I could definitely get behind that for sure. Yes. Um... So, and for those of you just tuning in, I am talking with Zach Shelton. He is the general manager of Koshan Butcher here in New Orleans. Uh, something else that he is, is he is a member of the Shelton family. Unfortunately. <laughs> so, uh, Shelton Brothers Imports, uh, for those of you who've listened before, uh, we've covered the festival uh, that they do every year. Um, this is a company that imports beer from all over the world and in the U.S., um, they are the ones who really seek out uh, very exciting, um, very uh, innovative brewers. Um, probably the most well-known one would be Cantillon. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one of my favorite breweries, Wolves and People, out in Portland, yep. or in the Portland area, mm-hmm. also is on that list. 
Um, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like I've just given like a synopsis of your family for you, but... <laughs> well, and you know, there is there are lots of different f- facets and, and weird things about the Shelton family, but th- th- that was the big thing, you know, it was, was bringing in things that they really believed in. So the story actually does start with Cantillon. Um, I remember being very young and just casually having this is going to make me sound so spoiled but no like, no sound spoiled this is um, good <laughs> you know like just having like a 1996 Cantillon Classic Goose sitting in the fridge my dad was like oh we'll crack that open one day you know and, and, and then going to the 4th of July and you know they're just being you know Cantillon Creek for days you know because that's what we were drinking but the reason why there was so much of it was at first it wasn't selling there was a massive excess of all this lambic this authentic beautiful lambic that they literally couldn't give away because people were returning it to the stores and saying hey this is sour it's gone bad um so the story really does start with Cantillon and and as much as I have griped with the modern uh beer drinker using untapped and Instagram and and kind of like searching out for like trying a new beer every day rating it etc it's and Shelton Brothers kind of feels the same way of like man beer like loyal drinkers are kind of a no are no more um but that's how Shelton Brothers started was my uncles and my father were traveling for work one of my uncles is a professional musician my dad was working um for a cubic zirconia company and being shipped all over the world my uncle Dan um, was a lawyer and and was doing work in Southeast Asia. So they were all over the world all the time. And they were bringing back these bottles of things that they thought were interesting from different places. My uncle Joel uh, brought back a bottle of Cantillon. Um, from Brussels. From Brussels. He was playing music there. Um, and they all kind of fell in love with it. And they were like, man, th- you can't get this. Cantillon was imported to the United States, I believe, in the 1980s at one point, and it just didn't work out. You know, everyone here was drinking Lindemans and, and things that were, you know, on the sweeter side, a little more sugary, more approachable. Um, and, you know, around that time, Cantillon did make sweet Lambic as well. They, they, they did that for a little bit, um, but they, they changed when Jean-Pierre decided he was going to go start making beer that his, his predecessor had been making. So, yeah, starting with Cantillon and the search for really interesting tastes. Um, and, and from there, obviously, the portfolio grew, um, but there, there still is this kind of like underlying theme of what Shelton Brothers does, and is they really, they're really into quality and really into like I, I honestly believe like the less is more mentality too. Um, right now in the cooler downstairs, we've got Tiria Extra, which is one of my favorite beers of all time. It's a yes. beautifully dry, hoppy farmhouse ale. And we're probably the only place in New Orleans that has it. And granted, I've probably drank most of that case that's down there because it's not an easy sell. But there are those people who come in and are like, oh, my God, French Farmhouse Hill. Awesome. I'll have one of those for $10. You know, um, same deal. Uh, you know, we've got... Um, you had Durant next door. Yeah. That I thoroughly enjoyed the other night for The dinner. XX Bitter on draft. And Maddie, the general manager next door at Koshan, is just as excited about beer as I am. And we have been placing orders together from, you know, uh, through international distribution to get some Shelton Brothers products down here um, because they are few and far between. They're not, they're, you know, Shelton Brothers is big in some markets, not big in others. And down here, there you, you'll still see some Shelton, you know, stuff floating around here and there. Um, it's not impossible to get your hands on, but it's, it's, uh, it's a lot harder than, than like than it was for us in Washington, D.C. to really be supporting the brand. But when we can get XX Bitter, when we can get, uh, you know, some cool stuff from Grimm through Shelton Brothers or, mm-hmm. or you know, some... Uh, Shelton Brothers has done really great with partnering with small breweries in, in little places throughout the U.S. and then helping to distribute that as well. So it's always, it's always fun to see what they have in stock and try to bring some down and put some on draft or have some in the bottle. 
Yeah, and uh, oh, and E9. Yes, um, E9. Out of Tacoma. Those guys are great. They we for those of you who have been very loyal to the show, we did a show with them much earlier um, in one of our earlier seasons. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about the role because we haven't talked a lot on the show about the role the importer mm-hmm. plays and how important they are. You know, in a way, they have a lot of say in trends. Yeah, because they're the ones kind of bringing things in to different markets and you know what what does that decision making look like you know honestly i think when when shelton brothers was first starting out and i kind of you know i'm i'm speaking for my uncle and my dad and my other uncle who started the company together um i think that they kind of just wanted to bring in what they like to drink mm-hmm. and and you know after after initial pushback for some for authentic lambic it became something that a lot of other people as we know like to drink now so i think that you know setting a trend like the lambic trend which i i really do think that you could give Shelton brothers a lot of credit for the the obsession with uh i hate saying sour beer but i don't know what else to say at this point in the united states every brewery it seems to be doing something that has a high acid content um and i think you can trace that back to them saying Lambic doesn't need to be sweet. It doesn't need to taste like soda. In fact, it shouldn't. Um, and I, I think that you can, you can literally go back and that sets up a whole trend that's now not even just a nationwide but a worldwide thing. And Shelton Brothers definitely played a big role in that. How did they get, uh, you know, you, you had that, okay, this is, this is how Lambic should taste. How did they change people's minds? How did they shift that? So, sorry, we had to pause there for a moment, you know, actual operating restaurant right now. Uh, so, basically, how did your dad and uncles change the perception on what Lambic should be? How did how did they do it with education, with kind of evangelizing that? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think it, it took a lot of work on the ground. You know, it was uh, when people were, it, I remember Uncle Dan will tell the story in New York City when they were first selling the beer there, um, that he would walk to the liquor stores and there would just be these bottles of, like, these crates of people returning the Lambic to the store and saying, yes, it's gone bad and I can't drink this. I'd like my money back. And the store owner was like, what am I supposed to do? So it really came down to a bunch of core people um, who who promoted the stuff also on the ground. So like if you think Tom Peters at Monk's Cafe, one of the most iconic beer bars in Philadelphia, yeah, in, in, in Philly and also on a national scale, um, he stood behind the brand, you know, and that and, and then people kind of followed um, on that trend, uh, when when a guy like Tom was like, "This is really good. You should be drinking this," and of course, Uncle Dan and, and Joel and my dad also were out there saying, "This is the stuff that you should be drinking." You, you know, they were they were kind of, pardon my French, kind of hard asses about it. They were like, "Yes, you can drink Lindemans, but you should be drinking this, yeah. and this is why. This is made by you know a handful of people, all in one family, um, under the same roof that's been there for a hundred years." You know, and that when telling the story of the beer really went a long way. Um, and again, it didn't, it didn't happen overnight. It took a long time for them to really get out there. And as I said before, they couldn't give the stuff away at first. And then years later, they can't keep it in stock and they have to really like think about who is getting it. At yeah. This there's like allocations exactly. and you know, you can only get a hold of so much and then you've got people putting stuff on the black market right. and, the, and, and the selling beer. it for more than the brewers made on the beer. That's a big, yeah. that's a big thing. And I, I don't know how much to, to touch on that, but uh, the the Venois family who own Cancion, you know, they've done everything in their power to try to make sure that the 
the beer is accessible in the most honest way possible. But in the, in in recent times, we've seen you know people selling stuff on eBay, people doing these trades for these. Like, I, there there was a a Cantillon Magnum I think online for like ten thousand dollars, you know, and it was like okay, the brewer sold it for like sixty bucks or whatever, you know. It's like just crazy yeah. stuff. No, you um, can get a bottle of Cantillon from the brewery for like eight, ten euros. Yeah. 12 euros or something like that they're not price gouging but um you know that and that's that's a side effect of being successful i think and Mm -hmm. you know but yeah starting at the beginning it really was just a a a true belief in the product and shelton brothers didn't make money for the first like seven years or eight years and dan will probably correct me on this later but um of operating because they were they were standing behind the products a lot of people would have given up you know on trying to sell bluebird bitter you know um in new york city or in boston uh, but they said this is really good. This, yeah, you know, this is out of the UK. Exactly uh, from Coniston Brewing up in the Cumbria, um, you know. So belief in the product and and standing behind it, I think, is really what you know. They weren't in it. it they clearly weren't in it to make money on the on the products. Eventually, they started to, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was never about making a quick buck. It was all about like these are small batch breweries. Um, like with real people with names and faces and families that we are helping to support and drinking a beer like, I don't know, say you could say Kentian Lambic or a Dronka XX bitter or a, a Bluebird bitter from Coniston or a Ridgeway IPA. For them, it was, we can't take you to these places, although they've started doing that mm-hmm. um, at this point with their insider tours uh, in the summertime to so Europe. Uh, but if you drink this beer, it will help transport you to a different culture, to a different time almost. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was, that was a big thing for a lot of people. For sure. And they have that festival every year. The year it's mm-hmm. in Buffalo, New York. I don't know if there are t- still tickets available, but... I'm not sure. Um, I, not sadly, but uh, I can't go that weekend because our dear friend Kevin Ramsey, shout out to Kevin, is getting married uh, up in Vermont. But lots of people are going. Buffalo um, has really come alive in the last probably five years or so with the beer scene. The festival is always in cities that are like, you know, they've never done one in, you know, Manhattan. They've never done one in Chicago. They've never, hell, they've never done one here in New Orleans. Um, they pick places that are kind of like burgeoning craft beer scenes, and they want to promote the, the, the a lot of the great support they've had over the years, like Mike Schatzel from Thin Man, and, and it, basically he owns the Buffalo craft beer scene. He's doing amazing work up there. He's been a longtime supporter of the brand, so they go to a place where there's a where there's a, uh, a relationship like that. Um, and again, I do hope that they do come to New Orleans at some point. And there's maybe going to be some talk of that. But oh, you know, they did the first one in Worcester. They did the second one. Um, God, I'm blanking. Maybe it was Portland, Maine. Um, but you know, places that in in Portland, Maine before it was like the beer mecca that it now is. You know, yeah. the Portland of the East, and then there's the Portland of the West. Um, but always trying to, to pick places that they feel that there's some beer life in um, that needs to be kind of woken up, I think, yeah. is the best way of describing it. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time because, you know, you have a restaurant to run. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Sarah Jane, it's my pleasure. I am flattered and honored that you asked me to sit down with you today. Of course. Well, check out other episodes on Beer Me Radio. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, um, please feel free to shoot me an email, beermeradio at gmail.com, or connect on Instagram at beermeradio. I've gotten some great, fun, uh, weird messages that I really appreciate. <laughs> Tur- and, and this was somebody recently sent me an email that said, you know, please stop calling it Pizza Paradiso. Oh, because yeah. Because it's 
Pizza Paradiso. But yes. ever since I was young, I would always call it Paradiso, and people. Hmm. It's so it's like a weird like Sarahism like I I, well, I I I say it wrong. You're not the only one. A lot of people do it. I know, but it's <laughs> it, it's kind of but it's also kind of like this thing here in New Orleans. Like some people say muffalata. Yeah, muffal- and it's muffalata. But I was asking a local, like, why do you call it a mufflata? He's like, it's just what what I say. All right. I like, well, All right, cool. to everyone, because the people from Pizza Paradiso have been on the show, and, you know, I shout out and apologize for my, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Mama Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, uh, shoot me an email, connect on Instagram, listen, like, subscribe, all that jazz, and we'll see you next week. Uh, thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.